just how hard can it be to get saved? That's what I want to been talking about lots of things with the word of God. We're now we're going to listen to the word of God tell us about salvation. And it might surprise you. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. And uh, look there in verse 18 and 19. It says this, and a certain ruler asked him, asked Jesus, saying, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you notice, here's this guy who wants to do something so he can get eternal life. Verse 19, and Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? Huh? He caught on a word. He didn't, he wasn't as concerned about this guy's request for eternal life as he was for it. Do you understand what good is? Why callest thou me good? Um, there is none good save one that is God. So right off the bat, Jesus meets a very wealthy man who is actually, he calls him a, a, uh, a certain ruler, but he's a very wealthy ruler who knows all about Jesus. And he respects Jesus enough to ask him a question. He calls him good master. You're a master teacher. I, I, I respect you. I think you do a lot of good in the community. I, I think you can probably answer my question. He says, what do I have to do to live forever? This is one of the topics that Jesus would teach on. He would talk about something called eternal life and everlasting life. And uh, how hard can it be to, to get eternal life, Jesus? Because he's basically saying, who wouldn't want to live forever, especially if you're rich? Now, I know a lot of people who'd like to die because of poverty, because of, of uh, troubles and stuff. And they just want to just end it all. I understand. But this guy says, I wish I could just be this way forever. Then Jesus questions that man about goodness. He says, why do you call me good? Do you really think I am good? Because good is a very precise word and only God is good. And that was shocking to the guy because don't we usually use that word quite flippantly? Oh, uh, you know, he's such a good boy or, uh, you know, I'm doing pretty good and all these things. But what needs to be understood about people is that um, we're not good. And there is none good but God. Um, our, our modern world has, has this strange idea that people are basically good. And what does the Bible say? It's the opposite. We are basically evil. And it takes our parents a lot of effort trying to teach us to have good character and, good, and take good responsibility. But he says basically... Um, you know, uh, I think, uh, I think you're a good man. And Jesus says, okay, who do you think is good? Anyways, what follows is Jesus answering that young man's question. And he shows just how hard it is to obtain eternal life. Just before he shows how easy it is to get saved. So let's go to verse 20. We'll go to the next verse there again. <clears throat> um, and, and Jesus says, this is what you have to do. Verse, uh, verse 20, thou knowest commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, right then and there, uh, uh, he basically says, what you got to do is you need to obey those 10 commandments. And Jesus doesn't list all 10 of them. Did you notice that? He only listed five. He said, don't commit adultery. That's, that's actually commandment number seven. Then he says, don't kill. That's number six. Do not steal. That's number eight. Don't bear false witness. We say lie. That's number nine. 
And then he says, honor thy father and mother. And that's commandment number five. Then Jesus stops right there, which is kind of unique because that sort of gives this man who's been paying attention and, he, and, and he's like shocked because Jesus doesn't go through the other five, especially the last one. Anybody remember what the last commandment is? Thou shalt not covet. <laughs> he skips that one for good reason. And he skips one other one, which is even bigger. Jesus is going to show us why in a few minutes. And that's when the young man says, yes, whoa, great job. Look at verse 21. And he said, all of these have I kept from my youth up. I'm a pretty good guy. I've been a good boy, all right? He basically is saying, I am worthy of eternal life, I think. Uh, and that's his personal view of himself. Have you, ever, have you ever met anybody who thinks they're pretty good? They're kind of more than they ought, than they really should be. Um, this man is, is uh, looking at himself and he sees himself as better than he really is. And that's the shame with, with the modern world because all of advertising and, and marketing and even, even instruction, and that's where it's so out of balance that everybody is constantly fed this idea of you're good, you're good, you're important, and you are important. But we've lost an emphasis on, no, you're not good. You need God. No, you're not going to make it to heaven. You're going to go straight to hell unless you get born again. We have no influence on society, and especially on young people, to put the fear of God in them so they take God seriously. They think, I'm pretty good. I honor my parents. I haven't stolen in 10 years. I don't remember the last time I lied. It's very convenient. Then Jesus asks about that first commandment. He's going to go right there. He says, hmm, what about the first commandment? Verse 22, now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto them, yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast. Remember, he's very rich. And distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Now, the first commandment in Exodus chapter 20, let me, let's go back over there. Hold your place here. Go to Exodus chapter 20. We only have a few cross-references this morning. We'll mainly spend the time in Luke. But Exodus chapter 20, in verse 1. Exodus chapter 20, in verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have, what? No other gods before me. You have nothing more important than me. You have nothing that takes the place of me. Did this young man have any other gods besides Jehovah, you think? You think he had a God that sort of, well, was the center of his life? So Jesus puts him to a test, and he doesn't put everybody to this test, although it would be good sometimes for us to hear this test. He tells him, if you want to be sure of heaven, and you want to have all the wealth of heaven, and if you only have one God in your life, then you need to sell everything you own. You need to give it all away, not to your family. I mean, it'd be easy if you were a wealthy man to pass on the inheritance to your children, wouldn't it? Jesus didn't say that. It would be 
not as easy, but it would be possible to pass it on to somebody that you think is worth you giving the money to and passing on all of that wealth to you and say, well, maybe, you know, my best friend or whatever. But Jesus said, no, I want you to give it to the undeserving poor, the poor who could never, ever pay you back, the poor who you don't even know. They're faceless people to you. And then I want you to decide to come and join me. I want you to follow me, live like I do, do what I say, turn the world, turn away from the world and just follow me. And when Jesus said that, it ended it for that ruler. Look in verse 23. And when he heard this, two varies in this verse. Look what he says. The very means really, really. He was very sorrowful for he was what? Very rich. Jesus was asking too much. Have you ever felt like that? I think Jesus is asking too much of me. I, 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 it's impossible to give away all that I, uh, that I owned to the poor. I have too much to give away. As a ruler, as a government official, I have too much power. It would make me poor if I gave all of that money away. And then I would have no power. And those who have power, if you're not noticing politics, those who have power never give it up. So every time they make laws, you got to watch them because they're never taking the laws off the books. They have too much power. He knows the poor have no power. Now, let me make a note here. Jesus only asks this of one man. This is not how you go to somebody and say, you want to get saved? Sell all your, your possessions. That's not the plan of salvation. But it is a test because if somebody is not willing to lose everything to gain Christ, then what are you going for? Why do you want Christ? So Jesus um, uh, was testing this man's willingness to actually do whatever it took to obtain this thing he thought he needed, which was eternal life. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Still holding your place in Luke. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 25. For whosoever will save his life is going to what? If you walk away from Jesus Christ right now and you think, well, I'm holding on to my life. I don't want to lose my life. If you try to save your life, you are going to, and then you're going to lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world, Mr. Wealthy Man, and lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul. What can you value your soul at? It's priceless. Matthew 19, go to Matthew 19, 22. Matthew here records the very same thing that Luke is recording, but I want you to say, I want you to see uh, one more little phrase here that's really unique. 19:22. But when the young man, this rich young ruler, heard that saying, he went away sorrowful he went away sorrowful he walked away I, I don't know i mean he was just grieved for he had great possessions i i think as far as he's concerned when he walks away from jesus he's he's not like well that was a waste of my time to ask him no he's gutted because he's had to choose between wealth and 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 christ and when he made the decision there is no joy i guarantee you if you 
Walk out of this room. If you're not born again, you walk out of this room saying, I don't think I need to get saved. You're going to be sorry. It will bring sorrow upon sorrow. There is no joy when you walk away from the greatest gift ever given, which is Christ. What a loss. Go back to Luke 18. And Peter's going to ask a question. Peter's shocked at this. In Luke 18, verse 24, when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, wait a minute. Who then can be saved? Now, just stop there for a second. Jesus is, is smashing the wrong ideas about riches and poverty. He was a rich man that, that Jesus didn't bend over backwards to, to welcome in heaven. Normally, when you have a very wealthy, powerful political leader, people change their schedules. They, they make, make every effort to give them honor and to, to make them feel welcome and to do whatever they need done, don't we? That's what we feel about people who have power and people who have wealth. We think, stop the bus. Let's see what this person is asking. He's important. And here's Jesus not bending over backwards to try to accommodate this rich man. Proverbs 14.22 says, wealth makes many friends, but it ends in the grave. Money is not going to go with you. Somebody once asked and said, man, that guy died last week. He had 9 million euros. Um, uh, uh, how much did he have left after he died? And the man responded, said, all of it was left behind. Can't remember how it said it. The point being that you leave it all behind. This man is, is a shocker because as far as they were concerned, they had stopped the entire procession to listen to this man, ask this question, why didn't Jesus make it easy for this guy to get saved? Why didn't he just say, oh, just do this, 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 just believe this? You see, everyone knew how impossible it was for to squeeze a camel through the needle's eye. It just wasn't possible. Um, and, and they're watching, as Jesus says, riches are a hindrance to get saved. Look there in um, verse 25 again, for it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. What's the problem? Well, when you're wealthy, and we're pretty wealthy in, in our day and age and in the Western world, it's easy to trust our wealth instead of God. It's easy to trust in money. When you're depressed and you got money, guess what you do? You go shopping. Don't tell me, guys, you know, sit there and go, now nah, I'm going to go get those golf clubs I've been wanting because I'm really depressed. When you're sick, you pay for the best health care you can buy. When you have money, you don't need God. You don't need to pray. You just look at your ability to take care of the problem. And it's hard when you have that money and when you have the ability to afford things, it's hard for you to depend upon God for those things when you can pay for them. But Jesus is saying it is impossible for anyone to get saved by them doing anything. Go to Galatians. Go to the right. Galatians chapter 2 in verse 16. If you believe 
in anything more than trusting Jesus. If you believe in your money or if you work hard to have money so that you don't have to ever have anybody's help, I understand all that. But if you bring that to God, it's not going anywhere. Uh, Galatians 2.16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the doing, the works of the law, but by the, remember that word, that the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Remember this rich man is saying, what do I have to do to, 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 to live forever? And Jesus says, well, let's talk about the commandments. And the guy says, I'm doing it. Look at that. I must be on my way. And Jesus says, you forgot about coveting and you forgot about having other gods before God. And he blew him away. And the truth is rich people who trust in their money and power are locked out of heaven. Next time somebody has great power, look at them and pity them because it's probable that they don't want to ever get saved. It's not that they can't get saved but they won't want it or need it. Pity them. And this is the exact opposite of what Peter was expecting because if rich people are not easy to get saved, who is able? It's a good question. Look at verse 26, back to Luke 18. And they that heard it said, verse 26, who then can be saved? Rich people were thought to be blessed by God and you're the same. Right now, you're sitting here this morning and you're watching online and you've got some money somewhere. But if somebody dropped 150,000 euros into your bank account on Monday, you look up to heaven and say, God, you sure have blessed me. Wouldn't that be true? Wouldn't you feel like that? Of course you would. You'd say, I must be blessed. You wouldn't call it a, normally a curse, not unless you know the history of riches. But most people, they think when they've got money, I must be God's favorite. I used to go fishing with a guy who was a preacher. Never go fishing with preachers who are better prayers than you are. Because we would go out in New Jersey. We'd go out, uh, uh, before I met Dan, uh, Everly, but we'd go out into uh, the ocean, about a mile, mile and a half. I always get seasick because the waves were awful. But we get out there, and what was this other guy? Um, uh, Brother Horton was his name. He'd throw the, the line out. You know what you'd be praying? Lord, you know I'm your favorite. <laughs> And he'd catch fish like there was no business. It was no fair at all. I tried that. Lord, I'm your favorite too. And I never would catch anything. But he's out there. And he'd always pray, Lord, you know I'm your favorite. And he'd pull it in. I hate that. But when you've got money, you feel like you're God's favorite. Now let me play the other side of the coin. When you are broke and when you don't have two pennies together and you are going from doctor visit to doctor visit and you can't pay the rent and you're being kicked out of the house and your kids won't talk to you, and you are broken and poor, and you're a beggar, you feel like you're cursed. Those are the natural conclusions we make about our money and our lack of it. So Peter's looking at him saying, hey, rich people, we thought they were blessed of God. And, and surely none of us poor people who are cursed have nothing. We have nothing to offer God. We have no successes in life. None of us could ever hope to be saved. And Jesus answers, wrong. Jesus answers wonderfully. Look at verse 27. Acts eight, uh, sorry, Luke 18, verse 27. And Jesus said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Isn't that wonderful? 
You see, guess what? Getting the gift of eternal life is impossible for any one of us to earn. You can't go out and just do something and get it. It is, how hard is it? It is impossible with men. Does that make sense? It is 100% no doable and a story. But who's it with? You see, salvation, Jesus answers, salvation is God's effort, not ours. With men, it's impossible, but not with God, even for rich people to get saved. Um, no matter how religious or how good you may be or how rich or how poor, salvation is God's effort, not our own. And that means the good news is anybody can get saved because God saves. Peter hears all of that and starts putting some things together in verse 28. And he says this. He says, then Peter said, lo, we have left all and followed thee. Verse 29, and he said unto them, verily, I say unto you, Peter, there is no man that hath left house or parents or brethren or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come. What your man was wanting, you've got as a gift, eternal life everlasting. Peter says, hey, we've left everything. We, we finished off our fishing careers. We left our homes, our plans, our retirements. We left it all so we could just be with you, Lord. We want to be like you. And Jesus smiles and says, hey, you haven't lost anything. You know, when you got saved, you remember, uh, I remember thinking about uh, that night as, as it had been several weeks that I heard the invitation, the end of every message. It was like there was a pull against my will to, to, to come to Christ and to, to repent and to get saved. And I, I, it, it passed through my mind, what are my friends going to think? And I started to worry about, you know, what does this mean? Am I going to be a fanatic? Am I going to be, you know, weird? And all these things, stupid things going through your head. And you think, what am I going to lose? And you know what I found out after I got saved? I lost nothing. I lost nothing. And whatever, quote, friends I think I lost, they weren't my friends to begin with. You are, if you're saved, you are blessed. He's looking at Peter. Peter, who's got a wife back home, he's not making any money. Um, he's, he's not fishing, and he's with Jesus all the time. And he's like, and Jesus says, you're a blessed man. And have you not ever thought about how blessed you are as a Christian? You say, well, you know, when I got saved, I lost everything. Did you? Did you really? You may have nothing in your pocket, but you have eternal life in your soul. And on top of that, Jesus says you have more now than ever if you think about it. You really do. You probably have a husband or a wife that you would not have gotten if you weren't saved. You probably have health. You got a bit of sanity, much le if there's any left. Um, you're probably more blessed now than you ever could have been before. You might have had some money, but you would never have been happy. Uh, that rich man so wanted to live forever, and Peter already had it. Isn't that funny? Hmm. But Jesus then says eternal life comes at a cost. Pick up there in verse 31. Then he took with him the 12, and he's planned this out. He says, we need to go for a walk, guys. And he took unto him the 12 and said unto them, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And as they're walking, he says, and all things that are, are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall come, shall be accomplished. They're going to happen. For he, the Messiah, shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, 
and shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, and spit it on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, Jesus, you, you may not realize it, but Jesus basically tell him, you know, this gift that I'm offering called eternal life doesn't cost you a penny, but it does cost somebody. It's going to cost me. You cannot do or pay anything for the gift of eternal life. Why? Because it's a gift. But somebody's got to pay for a gift. I mean, they're asking everybody to buy their Christmas gifts now. I wonder, I, I, I imagine there could be two, two sides of that thing. Number one, they want to get the economy packed up so people are going to spend money now and then spend more money at Christmas. That's just how things work. But spend, 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 you know. And, and gifts are free until you're the one that's giving it, isn't it? So Jesus says, I will pay for that gift. Just as it was prophesied, he, he goes on, he says, all the things that were written by the prophets there in Isaiah 53 and Psalms 22, Psalm 55 in Genesis 22 and two dozen more scriptures. Jesus says, I'm gonna have to do everything the Bible says has to be done to save you. And then he foretells the greatest news that's ever gonna be preached that he saves. What is the good news? The good news is you tried living by the commandments and how'd that work out for you? Mm -hmm. You fail, don't you? Let's go through them, all right? Oh, you've, you've tried this religion and you've tried that religion. You've tried meditation. You've tried all kinds of things. Let me tell you, it's Jesus that saves. That's the good news. Now to us who've heard it all our lives, maybe, or for years, we take that for granted. But Jesus is saying the death, the burial, and the resurrection of himself he was the one that was cruelly mocked and murdered. He was the one that they put away in that tomb thinking that they had done away with him. He would not bother them anymore. And he's the one that got up out of that grave. That's the gospel message that is preached today. And it still saves because it takes all the pressure off of me. What does it leave us? This is with a bit of confusion. Look at verse 34. I like this. Verse 34, after Jesus talks about what's going to happen down to Jerusalem, they understood none of these things. This saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. They're like scratching their head going, duh. So they just kept walking. But Jesus wasn't finished yet. He's got one more thing to do. And that's where we're going this morning. Very briefly, look in verse 35. He gives an illustration of how anybody can get saved. Verse 35. If only that rich young ruler had stayed around, he would have seen this. What we're about to see it would have made all the sense of the world. Verse 35. It came to pass that he was come nigh unto Jericho, and a certain blind man sat by the wayside. What was he doing? All right, normally in that day, if you were blind, you couldn't work. There was no government subsidies. You, you counted on people who, who would give out, a, out of a heart of charity, and he's begging. Contrasted with that rich man. Remember, this guy has nothing compared to the guy who has everything except the ability to live forever. This blind man begging then notices an opportunity passing. Look in verse 36. And hearing, now his eyesight may be bad, but his ears are real good, all right? And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. What's going on? Is there a parade? Somebody important? Verse 37, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. Now, this is that word passeth. Notice, he's passing by. You've only got a few seconds. There's this, there's, 
one chance. This may be the only chance this man has, and he's not going to let it by, let it go by. So he makes a bold request for mercy. Look at verse 38. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Help me. Verse 39. And they, now watch this, which went before, they were, they were ahead of Jesus, walking ahead. They rebuked him that he should hold his peace. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you were a rich man and you said, can I speak to Jesus? What would everybody do? Oh, stop, just a second. Here, make a way, make a way. This very rich, powerful man wants to talk to Jesus. Make a way for him to come. Now we got a poor beggar. And what does everybody say to the poor beggar? Watch me. Don't look up there. Look over here. What did they say to the poor beggar? Shh. Don't bother him. You're not important. Hmm. It's funny. This blind beggar was a nuisance to everyone except Jesus. Then they bring him to Jesus. Look at verse 40. It's a great illustration of soul winning. Verse 40. And Jesus stood. He just stopped there and he commanded him to be brought unto him. Wow, that's the great commission. We're, people cannot find God. People don't know how to get saved. He commands, go out there and bring them to Christ. And when he was come near, Jesus asked him, and, and um, uh, verse 41, I need something impossible, Lord. I need something impossible. It was just as impossible for the rich man to live forever as it was for this blind man to get his sight. In verse 42, it tells you he got saved. Look in verse 42. Verse 42, and Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath saved thee. What's the difference between that man, that rich man? He says, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, all this man had to do was ask. That's, that's what faith is. Faith is knowing who to talk to and trusting he can answer. He's, he's determined. He says, you can help. You know, people are kind of flippant when they pray and they say, Lord, if you're there, I remember my best friend, quote, getting saved the first time. I was, I had been talking to him about the gospel for two years. And it was a couple of days for Christmas and we're sitting there and he, he, you know, I told him, I said, you know what Christmas is all about, don't you? The son of God getting born and all this stuff. Anyway, he said, all right, what do I have to do to get saved? I said, you need to ask him to save you. Well, right there he went, okay, God save me. Is that enough? And I went, no. Do you even believe he's there? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I said, we got to start over, dude. Claude was his name, is his name. He's still a good friend. And we went through the whole thing. He says, well, I prayed. And I went, no, you didn't. Because number one, you got to be desperate, I believe. You got to want this gift. The other guys wanted to put this eternal life in his back pocket like another rich, like another bit of money. But this beggar, this is the picture we need to see. Because if you have nothing but Jesus, you have it all. Uh, thy faith has saved. And immediately, verse 43, he received his sight. From that moment on, from that moment on, that man's life was changed. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, he, he, he'd gone from night to day, from darkness to light, from lost to found, from sinner to saint. And, and he actually... He caused people to praise God and glorify God. Look at verse 43 again. Immediately he received his sight. He followed him, glorifying God and all the people. 
when they saw it, they gave praise unto God. When was the last time your life affected others? It probably was when you got saved. Everybody noticed a change in you. Well, that ought to be 24-7. This man's life is going to shine for the rest of his life. He, this beggar, started doing what that rich man never could do. His riches always were a noose around his head so he could never follow Jesus. But this poor beggar was able to just be with Jesus and was able to live and for him and do whatever he said. From that day forward, his life was changed. He started following Jesus and he found life. And he did it for free. Did it for free. Because the gift of God is eternal life. Now I'm through. By way of conclusion, how hard can salvation be? Well, it depends upon which one of those two men you are. Are you like the first guy, the spoiled brat? Are you like the second guy, desperate beggar? We're we in the Western world. We don't, we don't want to come to God that way. We kind of want to negotiate with God. We don't want God to actually ask us to do anything hard or whatever. And, and it's not that salvation is hard. But if I have anything between me and God, it will always be hard for me to let go of that so that I can receive the gift of eternal life. The only hard thing for anybody to ever have to do to get saved is to let go. Is to finally be able to say, I'm done. I'm done working at it. I'm done trying. Lord, have mercy on me and save a sinner like me. Because the best verse of all, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin for whether you're rich or poor is what? Is death. But the gift of God at Christ's expense, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I encourage you to remember the gospel. In our lives, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there are people around you who we kind of, people we think are important and people who are not. And they both are impossible. They never are going to get saved unless we bring them to Jesus Christ, unless we care enough about them to Tell them if that I guarantee you, if you're saved, your coworkers know there's something different about you, they just don't know what. So open your mouth, tell them about the somebody who opened your eyes and changed your life. I guarantee you, he was no longer a beggar, he was a Christian, and he was on his way living the life that the rich man never could know. As much money as he had, he missed eternal life. Let's stand, let's bow in prayer. Oh, God in heaven, what does it take for a person to get that gift of eternal life? Most people, even though they hear a message like this, would still answer, well, I'm a pretty good person. And they'd be just as confused as Peter, James, and John were about your part in our salvation, which is everything. Peter already having, by faith, just abandoned everything, started to follow your son. Didn't realize what he already had just by that life. I pray we're not that confused. I pray we would realize that we are blessed people if we're saved. But if we're not saved, we're one of those two. We think we're okay, and we will just go off into a Christless grave, or we're a desperate beggar. And this may be the only moment that you have. Lord, I pray that somebody this morning would 
with their heads bowed and their eyes closed, would cry out and say, God, I've wandered far away. Now I'm, I'm coming home. I'm going to trust you. I used to think I could be good enough and you would, you would overlook all of my past and you'd say, all right, come on in. But I come to find out no matter what I do, I'm never getting in. So, Lord, I, I pray somebody would get saved today and I pray every Christian would realize this world doesn't know. We're so confused about the ins and outs of, of riches and poverty. When the clarity is it's all about Jesus Christ. Don't worry about what's going on in the world. Don't worry about what's going on in your bank account. Worry about your soul. Lord, I pray that you would make us soul winners. We're walking with Jesus. We're, we're, we're blessed. There are people who are crying out right now. that They don't know who to cry to. They don't know where to turn to. We could make a difference with a gospel track. We could make a difference with with a passion plea for the for the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be burdened for our world around us, that you reach down to lost people like us. I pray you'd use us to reach out to somebody else too. In Jesus' name, amen.